Welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast. I am your host, Byron Pace. It's the 27th of January, 2021. We are slowly getting back into the normal routine of these podcasts. I apologize for the slightly uh, erratic release. Uh, it's been a little difficult just catching up after Christmas with uh, Christmas and New Year with everything that's going on and the chaos of travel, etc., etc., and not being able to quite tie up a few interviews. But I'm getting back and on schedule and getting a whole bunch of podcasts recorded and in the bank. So we will very soon be returning to the Monday release date. And we'll also be returning to the format that we had from last year, which if you remember, was pretty well established from probably summer on and I think everybody seemed to enjoy it, which was that we would have these long-form conversations like the one I'm about to have now. And on the in-between weeks, we would have these shorter, more concise, more focused conversations really around the science of conservation. Uh, and it was very, very often with, with scientists, and those tended to be around 30 minutes long. But I'm always looking for your feedback. So please feel free to email me, podcast at paceproductionsuk.com. Uh, that email address is in the link uh, it's not in the link, it's in the bio for this podcast. The link is in the bio. And I'm always really welcoming to to suggestions and feedback. Uh, you can also do that over on Patreon. In fact, if you'd like to support the podcast, then head over to patreon.com forward slash Byron Pace, and you can have a look at the various ways that you can help support the podcast. It really does make a huge difference and is one of the things that lets me keep these shows coming. And if you don't want to do that and you don't want to sign up for a Patreon account, I have another way to do it. Head over to my website, which is just byronpace.com, and you can find the podcast tab there. And in the podcast tab, there is a donate button. So you can very simply just donate. Maybe if you enjoy this show with Tyler, head over there and donate a cup of coffee's worth of dollars or pounds or euros or whatever country you listen to this podcast from. Uh, and that will really help make the next show possible. And while we're talking about supporters of the show, of course I have to mention it, all of the top-tier Patreon supporters, which this week include Richard Stevens, Richard McNeil, Ronnie Speakman of RDContracting.co.uk, James Marchington, the guys at South Ash are stalking, Josh Starling, Thomas Cameron, Mark Zabrowski, and the team at Galax Clothing. And some of you, uh, not just in the top tier, but uh, across all the tiers of Patreon, have been supporting since the beginning, since we made Patreon a thing and a way that you could support the podcast. Thank you so very much. It makes an incredible difference and gives me some validation that I'm doing something right on these podcasts. So to this week's show, we have, uh, there's a competition with this week's show, but I'm not going to talk about it now because it was an impromptu competition that came up in discussion while I was talking with this week's guest, Tyler Sharp, who is editor-in-chief of Modern Huntsman, and it is to win a copy of the latest volume, volume six of Modern Huntsman, but you just got to keep listening because he's going to tell you how to enter. We, we discuss it within the first few minutes of the show. It's a really varied conversation. We, we start off talking about seeing wolves in Yellowstone, which was incredible. Um, lots of debate about the hunting community and what that is and what it means. And then we really start to go through this latest volume. So head over to modernhuntsman.com and you can get a bit of a synopsis about what volume six is all about. You can have a look at the front cover and get an insight as to some of the, the imagery that's inside it. But we do some deep dives into a select few articles 
including whaling in the northernmost corner of North America. Uh, we talk about the incredible artist Nick Coleman, uh, an NFL athlete, Jay Cutler, which if you live in North America, you will know who Jay Cutler is. But for the rest of the world, maybe you don't. He's a, a rather well-known um, former NFL athlete. Uh, Jordan Jonas, who won the reality show Alone, um, there's this incredible story called The Forgotten Cowboys, which is really dedicated to the history of black cowboys who helped forge the American West, and a story that is very rarely told. Um, we discuss the incredible photography of Frederic Lagrange, and then right at the end, we give a rundown of the Field Outrider competition, which we actually discussed a few months ago uh, when it was being launched. Uh, that and many other things. There's a lot. And I'm not going to hold you up anymore. So here we go. Conversation with my friend, Tyler Sharp. I, I, I was about to say, Tyler, welcome to the Into Wilderness podcast. But I mean, you're, you modern huntsmen are so integrated in the podcast. It's now, it's, sure. it's more just hello. Sure. <laughs> welcome back. Welcome back. You've been, I think you've probably been on more than anybody else, actually. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. At least, at least three or four, maybe five. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe five times. Uh, and certainly different members of the team on the podcast. It's... Uh, it's always great to speak to everybody, but before we get into we get into the the bones of what we're going to talk about today, which is the latest volume of of Modern Huntsman, Volume Six, with this truly epic cover that I've had a lot of people message me and say, "What is it? What am I looking at?" And uh, I'm not going to just th think on that right now. Yeah, I was saying maybe, maybe you we're, should we're, do. We're going to cover that. Maybe you should do a giveaway and have somebody try to guess it. Okay, perfect. Now I don't need to intro the podcast this there week. You go. So for this week's podcast, if you want to win a copy of Modern Huntsman, uh, you got to tell us what <laughs> what is this cover? Yeah, it's. Well, we're going to release a second cover soon. So the cover we're speaking about right now is. Um, it's red and black and white uh, with a ripple going through it. Yeah. And so. just, yeah. Look at I can't it. Say try much and work. More. No, we can't. Yeah. I, was try, I, was trying to, I was trying to direct people a bit, but I really can't. You're no. just going to have to look at it very carefully and try and work out what it is. It might, if you own a copy, it might help to flick through it. Sure. I could say that. If you I own a copy, you'll be able to get it. And if you don't own a copy, then go buy a copy. Yes. <laughs> uh, we had the great privilege of uh, going into Yellowstone yesterday. Well, I had the great... You live almost on the edge, but it's always a privilege, right? Sure. Well, I don't go that often. I've yeah. been gone. I was I was home in Texas for four weeks over the holidays, and I hadn't been into Yellowstone since maybe August or September. Okay. So it was Different a, landscape, a much needed escape for both of us. I think we've been working pretty hard the last, whatever it's been, 10 days. And I actually love Yellowstone in the winter. You know, only one of the gates is open and there's way less people. But as you've, as we witnessed yesterday, there's still a lot of activity. And wow. we had one of the better wildlife days that I've had in a long time in there. So the first time I went into Yellowstone, we recorded, I think, the day after the first time, which was about two years ago. I was here with my brother, and I was blown away by the number of bison I got to see. So, of course, we saw bison more than I can count. Sure. But we got to watch some wolves. Yeah. Wolves in Yellowstone. I mean, it doesn't get any more iconic than that. No, and it's one of those things where I've seen, I've only f seen them once, and it was very, very far away, over a thousand yards away, and I, you could barely make out the shapes. 
And there's been plenty of times when I've been driving down the road and have seen a group with their spotting scopes and their big lenses out, realizing that's most likely what they're watching for. But usually I was on some kind of mission and just didn't want to stop. But given that you still have this childlike wonder about Yellowstone, <laughs> I was like, you know what? We should go ask. Mm. And so we turned around and, and went back and you rolled the window down and, and asked what they were looking at. And of course they said, well, so we pulled over and... It took, what, maybe 10 minutes for them? Uh, yeah, probably at least. Because when I asked, I said, wolves, but they're not there anymore. They've yeah. gone over the hill. And uh, we could kind of, because we were parked along uh, the sort of a lay-by, and we could hear the chatter of the people who had the spotting scopes out, who were obviously like seeing them reappear again. And then eventually they became pretty clear mm -hmm. in this area, just below this sort of wooded forest. And it was, e even though it was obscured by the snow, I think it was pretty magical because... It, they were pretty far off and it was in this shaded area in between, you know, a little culvert with trees yeah. and they were almost shadowy figures moving through the... It was very mystic. Snow. It was. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. So, we... I saw three, but you saw four. So, yeah. I mean, it was incredible just yeah. to... And we saw coyotes and... You saw a bighorn ram. <sighs> yeah. I mean, obviously the wolf, that's the highlight if I had to pick one yesterday, but I've been wanting to see bighorns up close for a long time. And before we'd even got into the park, there was this, I mean, group of 20 mm -hmm. or so. And there was one big boy in there. Oh, yeah. And I got pretty close and took a whole bunch of photos. He was the king. He was. Yeah. I, I'll, um, I might, I'll edit those photos this week. In fact, yeah. hopefully by the time this podcast goes out, maybe there'll be a photo of that, what I'm talking about yes. on my Instagram. So, yeah, that was a... A, a good way to to finish up some pretty pretty tough work. It was because yeah. we were busy trying to plan twenty twenty one, but twenty twenty one's still in freaking chaos Ugh. from COVID. Yeah, yeah. I remember sitting. I was in the states early last year, and all this was kicking off. And when we realized like how serious it was, like okay, well. Yeah, maybe 2020 is going to be because we had to uh, as a team, Modern Huntsman, we had to change a whole heap of plans because. Yeah. So much of the work that we do involves being on the ground. That's yeah. why we can give honest, authentic views of the world. Sure. Uh, not just us on the ground, but all the people who write for Modern Huntsman. Uh, it became very quickly apparent as March turned into April and May that that just was not going to happen. It was not going to yeah. be physically possible to travel. Well, actually physically possible, but certainly possible and do it safely. Sure. We didn't really understand the virus that well then. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, we still don't really understand it that well, but at least we have a vaccine being rolled out slowly. Well, and then also just financially, there was yeah. a lot of the brands and companies that we work with, you know, there was so much uncertainty about what was going to happen. A lot yeah. of people uh, were impacted very heavily. And then others who weren't as impacted kind of as Bill, our CMO would say, kept their powder dry. Yeah. And so just the ability to commission stories and travel and go, I mean, I had to, I personally had to cancel three trips. I was supposed to go to Japan and Africa and um, I forget where the third one was, but. Try, uh, yeah, we were hungry. We were not supposed to be Yeah, hungry. we were going to go back to Hungary. Mm. Uh-huh. But yeah, so, I mean, I've likewise, I was supposed to be in Africa finishing filming the Congo trip I started mm -hmm. the year before and yeah, no, no relocations. Yeah. So, and I think we were all secretly hoping that a new year would bring smoother <laughs> waters, but it seems to be worse at the moment. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, you and I have been able to 
to kind of hunker down and, and make some good plans. And we're, we're sitting here in my, in my kitchen in, in Livingston and all of the windows have our uh, brain scribbles all over them. From They do. We, we took inspiration from the film A Beautiful Mind. Yes. And so we started writing on the windows just to make us feel a little more <laughs> yes. intelligent. But then you have to be really careful when you're opening the door to not brush your <laughs> shoulder it on it. Off. Yeah, because I actually haven't written all this stuff down yet. Yeah. So. Yeah, that would be tragic. But you will be seeing all of these ideas come to life in, in the next we few do. months, which I is think exciting. We're, we can't say yet, but I think we've pretty much decided uh, what the theme of Volume 7 is going to be. Yeah. And, and a good chunk of the kind of stories that are going to be in there as well. Yeah, and there's it's exciting. at least 15 it's, on that list. It's not a departure from what modern huntsman is but it's a departure of the kind of stuff that we've covered before yeah which and is great it's and it exciting widens the net so to speak <laughs> absolutely <laughs> uh, just going back to last year i, I even know from uh, my friends who work in publishing in the uk that i remember getting a phone call uh probably like may could have even been a bit earlier from one of the biggest, not just in the outdoors industry, but in the industry of publishing, one of the biggest publishers in the country. Actually, one of the biggest in the world. And uh, my friend, who's a senior um, editor there, across a number, in fact, across an entire group um, of publications, they had been told, you need to reduce your page count to 70% of what it was last month. And it was simply on the back of print costs, and the fact that they're advertising, just as you just said, just dried up overnight. Yeah. Because all these companies are like, we don't know what's going to happen. They were putting people on furlough. They were laying people off. Yeah. They didn't know what this new world or of the following 12 months was going to look like in terms of sales because all their models had been broken by COVID. Sure. And so it's not a unique thing to Modern Huntsman in that respect. Everybody, especially in the sort of, print and publishing world has been suffering yeah no it's been uh and a lot of it too was shipping just unpredictability and shipping costs shipping and shipping terrible. times and uh you know we it's a guessing game it's a moving target and it's not one that's easy to win yeah and i don't think we've been winning it it's it's no. been it's been a hammering there's i saw um i didn't read the whole article but the royal mail which is our postal delivery service in the uk they have regions of the country now where your post is just not going to arrive on time, mm -hmm. anything close, yeah. because of uh, COVID restrictions, people not being able to go to work and what mm -hmm. have you. And it's been, a, it's, it's been tough to get, sure. which is so frustrating because we want to share this publication with mm -hmm. everybody. And sometimes it takes a little bit longer than uh, it should to get to people. But it's, it's like, to a point, it's kind of out of our hands, which yeah. is so frustrating because we you know, pride ourselves on doing everything we can for the people who are part of part of modern huntsman yeah and the, i mean that's we, we've been talking about this a lot with the team this last week about this idea that if you are so i mean we're sitting at this table here we've got copies of modern huntsman on the table we've got modern huntsman coffee and modern huntsman mugs uh and there's probably some other paraphernalia yeah. around lying around yeah if you are uh buying a copy of Modern Huntsman or even following and interacting on the Modern Huntsman Instagram uh, or the you subscribe on the subscriber list. It's not – we don't really see people who are interacting with us as customers. No. It's, it's way more than that. Yeah, I mean it's – 
I don't want to say family. It's somewhere in between community and family because I think that it's a shared mindset, right? What we've been doing or are trying to do is risky for several reasons. One, publishing in general. Two, kind of going against the grain and pushing into uncharted territory. And I think that it's the support and the just the feedback from people who've continually supported us and, and purchased books or listened to your podcast or supported the artists where we do, you know, the, the custom map that we did and different things like that through the print shop that, you know, I think that's, that's something that has become very apparent to us in terms of 2020 and 2021 with, with everything that COVID has brought has impacted us, uh, not just us, but a lot of people in a traditional way. And it's forced us to sort of reevaluate our mission, not or not our mission, but just our strategy and also the business plan. And it's become more clear than ever, not only philosophically, but also professionally that this entire operation, this entire mission is based upon our supporters and, and, that's something, you know, to not have to get down on my knees, but basically to just say that, you know, we need people's support. And and even though there are brands who back us and that there's, you know, things we do in partnership, at the end of the day, for us to be able to tell the kind of stories that we want to tell without making compromise, without, you know, sort of bowing to commercial demands or featuring specific products. And, and we still do some of that stuff because there's a way that you can do it artistically, but that's what this comes down to is that from the beginning, we've wanted to support photographers, writers, filmmakers, conservationists who maybe had a story to tell or have never been given a shot before. And we want to be able to continue to do that. But as this trickles across you know, the economy and the industry, it's making it harder for brands to support these kinds of things. And so more than ever, we need the support of people who believe in what we're doing, who want to read these sorts of engaging stories, and who want to see talented people get you know, work. And, yeah. and I think that that leads kind of into the field outrider, the creative competition we yeah, did. Yeah, of course. Um, but, but I think that's something that, you know... I would I would humbly ask is this if you've been a podcast listener for however long and you've never actually seen the book uh, I would I would just ask that you consider it because there's some incredibly talented people that were trying to keep afloat through giving them freelance commissions and through giving them artwork commissions and it's just becoming increasingly more difficult to do that on our own in terms of without brand support and things like that as, as the, you know, the, the world economy is sort of uncertain. And so, uh, you know, every little bit helps and, and we've been doing, you know, we're going to start launching these bigger, you know, subscriber support campaigns uh, and just to highlight some more of the people that we want to commission and we want to go do these things. Cause there's a lot of people who can't travel. And if they're just a photographer or writer stuck at home, it's a nightmare. It's, it's difficult. And so it's hard for everybody right now, but I think that it, it's sort of a, a really rewarding experience to be in a position where we have the opportunity to be able to give work and showcase talent and, uh, and sort of bring attention and light to people who deserve it. But we also need that help. It's not about me. It's not about the brand so much. It's more of just growing this community so that, 
you know, if this timeline of COVID goes longer than we all uh, hope it doesn't, that we are able to still continue to do this work without necessarily the, you know, the stability of an industry that it yeah. would really just be based on people who believe in what we're doing. And I guess the best way for people to keep engaged so they know how they can help if, mm -hmm. they, if they want to help is, well, first of all, there's stuff on the shop. There's a whole sure. heap of amazing stuff on the shop. And by purchasing that, you will be able to, well, you are you are helping exactly what yeah. Tyler just talked about. Um, but it, follow the Instagram and put yourself on the subscriber list because anything new that's coming out and there is cool stuff going to be rolled out in, in the coming weeks, then you'll know about it first. Yeah, and that's really, we're going to shift a lot of our messaging and mission to our subscribers. Not that obviously we don't want other people to see what we're doing, but we really want to give special privilege and first access to the people who actually support what we're doing yeah. on, on a consistent basis. So that's a whole new model we're going to roll out here pretty soon. That's part of what's scribbled all over <laughs> every window it, in yeah. my kitchen. But that would be you know, it, it would include additional stories through digital subscription, you know, exclusive access to things that we're not going to post publicly. Yeah. Uh, and then a lot of these interesting collaborations, some of which we'll, we'll talk about later. But, uh, but yeah, that's kind of the best way to just, we're, you know, really trying to lean into the community aspect of it and, and grow that. So, so it's uh, modernhuntsman.com and somewhere on the homepage, I guess. Yeah, it'll be, a link, it'll be a link yeah. on the, on the homepage. Yeah. yeah. Great. Uh, just going back to what you're talking about, uh, you mentioned this us in terms of the modern huntsman team and, and the the stories that we pull in. A lot of them don't fit neatly in a traditional sort of hunting publication. That's always been that's always been the point of modern sure. huntsman from from the start is to to bridge these gaps and tell these stories which aren't being told. But just speaking to the the sponsors that also support each volume, mm -hmm. I think it's very bold and brave of the sponsors who have, you know, in the same way that Modern Huntsman has been prepared to step aside and be recognized as different and kind of stick their neck out in a way, serve the sponsors. Sure. And I think a hat off to them for being part of the team as well. Absolutely. And, you know, we're talking about things in in every volume which – there's always a hunting connection, but sometimes it might be kind of on the periphery of the mm -hmm. story because we realize that there are, in terms of this, the environment and the landscape around us and how we kind of steward it to a, a more sustainable future between humans and the greater world out there, is that it's not always a pure hunting story. No. But we still need to be engaged in it. And we should be. Sure. And we and most hunters want to be. Yeah. But those stories are not necessarily being told. And I I I'm always so thankful of the um the sponsors and companies who also share that vision mm -hmm. and, and are coming along to tell that narrative. Yeah, and I think that so it's actually the the coffee that we released, I don't know if anyone tried that yet, but we released a coffee over the holidays called Huntsman Coffee. We collaborated with Bison Union Coffee Roasters out of Sheridan, Wyoming. And we wrote this sort of description on, on the packaging and part of the branding that talked about the word Huntsman in general is an old world word that meant more than just hunter. It meant somebody who knew the ways of the woods, who you know was a philosopher and a teacher and a poet. And it just required a larger skill You're set. You're describing yourself, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. But I think that 
it, it's just sort of a concept that sure hunting is part of my life and is part of your life, but there's also a lot of other aspects to our personal beliefs and our extracurricular activities, the way you dress, um, you know, the, the beliefs you have, the virtues you uphold, those kinds of things go beyond just the hunting industry. And so that's really, I think what we've been able to do, especially as we partner with other brands, because a lot of brands have specific brand guidelines, right? They have an audience, they have a tone, they have certain things they can talk about and cannot talk about. And I think that through our ability to communicate with these brands and understand who they are and what they're trying to do, we can kind of help expand their voice and mission in areas that they may not be able to do through their own channels. And so I think that's what's been really interesting because we can kind of have these conversations about, hey, what, you know, what are some topics you're interested in that, you know, your marketing director or your CEO isn't going to be comfortable with you putting in the front of your product catalog? Well, let's put it in our book and, you know, have it be presented by. And and then that's a collaborative process that we can kind of talk through. But I think that um, just that idea of you know, one, um, Ryan Holm, my, my good friend, who's the marketing director of Mystery Ranch, I think part of the reason that we've developed this great relationship and an ongoing par- partnership is because we're both kind of hunting misfits yeah. in a way that we are both hunters, but we don't necessarily fit into the box of the industry per se. And I think that he appreciated our efforts and intentions to kind of, uh, I don't know what the right word is, shake the tree a little bit yeah. uh, or just kind of create a, a different path. That's... And also be, I mean, in my mind, it's like, it's being authentic to who you are as a person mm-hmm. rather than feeling like you have to follow everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that just carving a new space, uh, you know, what are those, the Venn diagrams where yeah. the circles overlap? <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, we're kind of, we've kind of drawn a new circle where, where some of these overlap and, and maybe that circle can move further or closer into the other ones, depending on what we're talking about. But, uh, but yeah, I think that's been, you know, a, an advantage, not an advantage, right. But that's been maybe a unique pursuit of ours to be able to talk about overlapping things like that. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the, the book itself, this, this volume, I think it might be quite interesting because it's been such an amazing process this last week to tell people listening who read Modern Huntsman, even people who haven't yet, what our kind of like creative process is like. You know, we were sitting around, I mean, because of being times of COVID, it was a very small team, but uh, we were all sitting around the table and we were talking about the next volume and how we actually go about deciding a theme but more than that how we go about brainstorming to to work out what's going to be inside a volume and what's important sure i mean so much of it's organic it's kind of almost difficult to explain but i mean we've we've had a running list of potential themes for a while now right and i think this next one that we're shadowly uh, discreetly discussing (laughs) (laughs) has been one that's been pretty high on the list. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a mixture of current topics, I would say, from a lot of your research and and, um, digestion of of science papers that you're reading. What are pressing concepts and, and pressing issues that we need to discuss? It's also, there's kind of a 
social element to it, right? What are things that maybe the industry isn't talking about that we should be talking about? And then artistically, it's also which direction are the scales tipping in terms of stories that people are submitting to us or potential brand partners who've said, hey, we would love for you guys to talk about this or that. And, and when you do, let us know. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of a, a moving target in that regard. But I think as with most of our books, when we kind of lay those on the table and we're, we all have rested enough to think about producing another book, that it becomes pretty clear which one it should be. And, and we were kind of all in agreement with this. And you and I had discussed it on the drive from Texas back to Montana. Yeah. So we had a lot of time to kind of talk through ideas and came up with a lot of good ones. And from there, it's, it's sort of, I mean, a lot of your ideas are science-based. And so we have that core of, let's call it credibility. And from there, you know, we've started to kind of define these buckets. All right, well, what are the more artistic stories? What are the, what are just the fun adventure stories? Adventure fishing stories. The ones. There's always a place for that. Yeah. Or, you know, just an adventurous hunt or yeah, whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. Because the ones we read about when we were younger or oftentimes the stories that got people interested in hunting or fishing or, or outdoors or camping or whatever it is. And so we try to find a balance there. But you know, then everybody kind of brings their own take to the table. And I think between Bill and Katie Marchetti and Helena and you and I, and and then some of our team remotely was kind of sending in some ideas that, you know, we at least have a really good foundation for what we want to start pursuing. And, and then it just sort of I don't know. It's that's where it becomes organic yeah. where we, we sometimes we put out a call for entries, but we don't necessarily have the bandwidth to handle a massive flood of, <laughs> flood emails. of people. Yeah. And so if you've sent us ideas and we haven't responded, I apologize. It's mostly Byron's fault. <laughs> of course they do all get read. Um, we will get back to everybody at some point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're working on that. Fighting fires. Yeah. I think one, one of the things that was very was really interesting to me when I first came in, and the, there was story ideas being discussed at that point. It was mostly remotely on calls because we were in different, different states or in different parts of the world, is this... Um, so the, this layout of the kind of stories or, or maybe even more refined ideas of stories that you want to pursue as part of the volume. But then it's the process of actually finding the right person to tell that story, mm -hmm. the right writer, yeah. the, the, the person with the, the eye of photography that fits that story. And I think that's uh, a process which certainly in terms of the publishing I'd been involved in over my life before Modern Huntsman didn't exist to that extent. Like going into that, not in the outdoor space. Sure. It, I know it exists in, in the, the wider world, but there hadn't necessarily been the time, I think probably because of the very quick turnover of monthly or weekly publications or whatever. Maybe it goes down to this grassroots care of the stories that we're also trying to tell. Mm -hmm. uh, but I really appreciated that because we, we try really hard to make sure that we found the best person possible to tell that story. Yeah. And within reason too, I, I think that in a perfect world, we would have, you know, creative and art direction on every story. Yeah. Yeah. But the reality is there are budgetary and timeline and now travel restraints that we, we kind of 
decide from the pool of stories, which ones do we want to put the most weight into? And then from there, you know, we, we kind of have this, let's call it a stable, a roster of talented people that we pull from. A lot of times we'll ask, Hey, what do you have going on this year? Where, you know, where are you going? What are you doing? And then there's also a lot of people that we just admire that are kind of aiming for the stars in a sense. And miraculously, I'd say three or four out of five times they respond and not only respond, but when they actually see the book, they say, this is great. I would love to participate and, and, you know, publish, publish my work through, through your channel or your book or whatever it is. And, um, so yeah, I think that that's, uh, it's definitely something, you know, we want to continue to do more of is that sort of, you know, planning and creative and art direction per story. But until things open up travel wise, it's just, it's pretty difficult to do. So let's dive into this volume. Okay. So we've this is we've been talking a lot about the creative process of stuff going forward and, and the way that we've done it in the past, but we actually have a very current volume. I mean, mm-hmm. this only really released not that long before Christmas, and we're only now at the start of January. So mm-hmm. um, with all the chaos around uh, Christmas and New Year, there's probably quite a lot of people who don't have their hands on this. Yeah. Yet. So we've both got. Well, first off, first off, I we described the the cover of the volume that you have the chance to win uh, on this podcast, but. On the table here, there's actually two different covers mm-hmm. of the same volume. Sure. Explain this to me, Mr. Sharp, because this sure. isn't the first time you've done this. No. So, volume five, if you got that, we had a we released a second edition, a cover, an artist edition cover that came with two prints that was a collaboration between our good friend Chris Douglas, who's a, a Western photographer out here in Montana, and Danny Vergas, who's a Spanish watercolor artist. And he had done a lot of illustrations in volume five. But the artwork that we commissioned that is also on our Huntsman coffee mugs. <laughs> and we both got Huntsman we, coffee mugs. We're both the table drinking right out now. of the mugs. So we released a second edition cover. One, because it's something that, you know, a lot of fine art book and limited edition book publishers do that we just think is a really cool concept. That there's kind of these collectible covers. But also because it becomes an interesting opportunity for an artist to interpret our work and and the theme around our work and just to kind of create some original artwork. And so we're, we're going to continue doing that. Uh, I don't see any reason why we wouldn't, because it's been a really just interesting, creative, fulfilling process. And we have a new cover that will definitely be live by the time this goes out. And it's with Western artist, Nicholas Coleman who's a very well-known and very talented artist who kind of paints these, they're almost like old world romantic renditions of modern themes. It's It's, like time capsule stuff. Yeah. And and it's very, a lot of his work revolves around Western themes, uh, pioneer days, um, you know, does a, does a lot of stuff, um, you know, with, with native American tribes, um, and works with some of some of the tribes in Utah. And uh, anyways, he has just been, we've all admired his work for a long time and we reached out to him and it turns out he's actually a subscriber to Modern Huntsman. And, and he, where it was one of those things where we thought, well, this, you know, this, this is probably a long shot. And we talked about doing an original oil painting and he, not only jumped at the opportunity, but brought a lot of other ideas to the table. 
So I actually went to Provo, Utah, where his studio is. And this was back in, I don't know, July or August, kind of when things had calmed down and everybody thought COVID was going away and got to do an interview with him and photograph him in his studio. And he painted this 20 by 30 oil painting on, I don't know if it's on canvas or linen, but it's it's definitely, you know, this is this is the type of painting that in a gallery and in his normal collecting world would go for probably $50,000. And we're actually going to release the original painting here pretty soon. And we haven't exactly landed. Yeah. We haven't exactly landed on how we're going to do it, right? For people who collect his work, it's going to be, if we sell the painting as is, it would be a, you know, a way, way more attainable price than normal because part of what our conversation, what his interview is about is that we want to make this type of work and when I say this type of work, I mean this this high, not fine art, right? But but the, the type of work we're doing in Modern Huntsman, the type of work he's creating as a painter, we don't want it to just be reserved for people who are wealthy and go to a gallery circuit. And so we're trying to find ways for people to be able to participate and, and collect work, whether through prints, uh, lithograph prints or things like that. And so anyways, Nick Nicholas... Uh, we, his friends call him Nick. So I think he'll spare me for calling him that, but, uh, created this beautiful rendition of kind of the theme of resilience, which was, which was volume six. And, um, the cover, you know, stunning. we've only got, I think 500 copies of it. And we're gonna, we've got a couple of interesting campaign ideas that we're going to do that uh, may or may not involve a golden ticket. So one of the 500, yeah, one of the 500 copies will, will be signed by the artist himself. And that the person who gets that signed copy is, is in for uh, a pretty awesome surprise. So more to come on that soon, but yeah, this, this artist, uh, and, and then the portrait I took of him is on the back and, uh, just really, really fascinating guy. He's not your typical fine artist. You know, he's got a really interesting life that crosses over into motorcycle culture. Yeah. And, um, the thing I like love that. about his work is that it, you can feel that it's so story driven. Mm-hmm. So it's so incredibly appropriate for modern announcement. Yeah. And he talks about it in, in the interview and in, in this issue about his process and, and, you know, with his, uh, family and he goes on these trips and, is uh is just constantly taking pictures and exploring and sitting and watching and he's just he's an observer and he sort of captures these these memories and these feelings and these experiences and then translates them into these paintings and so a lot of people say oh well there's no way you could have experienced that location and he's like well actually i have it wasn't in 1840 but i've been to this place and i saw the eagle soaring over this river and i made that fire and i paddle that canoe across the lake or whatever it was. And so, sure, some of it is interpretation from, you know, the history, but in the case of the themes of his painting, these are all things, you know, he, for the most part, goes and does and experiences, so. It's quite possibly my favorite cover. All right. I really, really love that. I mean, it's it's like, it's hard to pick, but when I saw that land, because the first time I saw it and actually had it in my hand, it was Mm -hmm. only two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. It was just like, Oh my. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it really is a beautiful. It is. It really is beautiful. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. So let's open this. Let's open volume six up mm-hmm. here. We're not going to go through everything that's in here, obviously, but um Oh, my picture of this. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. opening spread, Elephants, yeah. which was taken in the black and white image at the start, which was taken in Namibia 
the end of like seven years of drought. They actually had quite a lot of rain last week, yeah. which is really great to see. But the first story that I wanted to flick to was um, this opening whale hunting story. Yeah. Now, we've covered – it was a very, very different story. We covered whale hunting in the previous volume, volume five, and it was a story that I wrote, which was based on a film called The Islands and the Whales. Actually, sorry, it's not the first story. The one on Christensen Arms is uh, – it's the next story. Yep. Um, Visions from an Ancient Exchange. Yeah. Uh, what, how did this come about, Tyler? Because this is – I mean, the, the imagery in here is stunning. The story is like from another world, and yeah. it, yet it's happening now. Like, yeah. This is current time. It feels ancient. So Elias Carlson, our design director, is friends with Keely Yuyun, who's – I don't, I don't know if it's the correct term to say he's a National Geographic photographer, but he does a lot of work for them. He's on a grant, and I believe that he initially was on location for them, and he's been embedded in this Alaskan, I, I don't want to butcher the name, but Anupiat is, is, I believe, how you say it. It's an Alaskan whaling community, and he has spent many years i i think it's, five or six years i thought i was going to say seven or eight seasons where he actually goes and shadows he's kind of been he's become part of this community and they trust him and, and he actually not only is documenting this process but he's actually contributing to the whaling effort and it's a really really fascinating story about just an ancient hunt in an ancient way of interacting with nature in a modern in modern age and it's very very it's a different take because he's he's more of an observer and i don't know the level of spirituality and the level of i mean there's a couple parts in the story where they're talking about some of the guys having dreams about certain things and that ended up coming true and and it's a very animistic kind of very much so, yeah. uh, relationship with, with the whales. And I think that uh, most people, when they hear the word whale hunting, would immediately be appalled. Recoil, yeah. But I would challenge anyone to read this story, and I would find it very difficult to feel opposed to the sort of respect and symbiosis that, that these people have with these whales. And I think that one of the most interesting parts of this story was they were talking about in the 70s, late 70s, early 80s, this group of, you know, kind of white researchers came in and basically like, hey, we're going to do a census of the whales. Yeah. And they had this, you know, they were basically just counting whales that were surfacing and they said, okay, well, we think that there's seven or 800 here because that's what they counted. And the elders of the tribe basically kind of shook their heads and were like, you're off by an order of magnitude, <laughs> is what they said. And so anyways, but because at the time, the uh, the legality of whale hunting was based off of these, quote, researchers' surveys, they put a moratorium on the hunting. And then years later, they developed some, I believe it was sonar technology. Uh, yeah. So then they, when the technology caught up and they were actually able to accurately count the number of whales under the surface, it was almost the exact number that the elders had said it was. And at that point, the researchers were like, okay, well, you guys obviously know what you're doing. So we're going to just hand this back over to you. And so I believe it's called the Alaskan Eskimo Whaling Commission. Uh, I can't remember now, but I do remember reading But so they basically 
handed over the reins to... For, for management. Yeah, yeah, for management. And so they handed the reins back over to the native population. And since then, you know, they've been able to accurately and sustainably do, you know, keep their Harvest way of life. Whales. Yeah. I think one of the... You know, when when we picture whale hunting, when it's mentioned, I think most people's minds hark back to the the height of the whaling industry, which was a a massive commercial enterprise, like the oil industry. Well, I mean, it kind of a lot of it was for oil; it was for whale oil, uh, like the oil industry is today. But this is not only fundamental to their way of life, but it's not commercial in that respect this is how they survive yeah. this is what they're eating throughout yeah. the season and it's a very different story when you're looking at commercial exploitation for ec for major economic benefit and you're looking at something which is uh, supplemental to survival so yeah there's there's so many amazing anecdotes in here about the whales speaking to them and picking the right animal that yeah you just have to read it because I don't want to butcher it because it's written yeah, so beautifully. It is. Uh, and the photos are haunting and beautiful. And yeah, Keeley's an incredibly talented photographer and uh, we certainly hope to to publish more of his work in the future. Um, if we flick on a little bit more, um, we have this, uh, this story, North Star. Yep. Which was of what we just mentioned, Elias, but he did the photography on that. It was all shot on film, actually. Yes. And uh, the great Jack Evans was the man who penned it. Yeah. Yeah, that, so Jordan Jonas was the winner of season six of the show Alone. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if anyone are survivalist <laughs> reality TV fans, but yeah, Jordan was the one who successfully killed a moose with a bow in the Canadian taiga, tundra, arctic, yeah. frozen landscape. And uh, yeah, it's just, and it's interesting because it, it touches on the same themes we talked about in volume five with some of the Siberian, um, what, what was that? I can't remember the name of the tribe now. It's been so long that we did with the Villerslev brothers that lived in... Um, Oh yeah, in Russia. So we, yeah. this is he also spent time in the same region as we had uh, illustrated in, in the last issue. But uh, it's just it, it's very interesting to go into his mind and the sort of meditations and um, entertainment that he had to you know pursue to keep himself healthy, sane, and busy during a you know survivalist situation like this. And obviously, he ended up winning and that comes with prize money and fame and all of that. But now he's sort of teaching these survival courses uh, and he's kept pretty busy with that. But uh, it's a very, very interesting story. One of the things I loved about this sort of deeper insight into the person is that you imagine these, and I haven't, I haven't watched many of them because the kind of reality TV is not really my thing, but you imagine this like a naked and afraid or, or alone, it's going to be big, burly, normally dudes but uh, there's lot, been lots of women uh, in fact is it in this volume yeah Laura Sorry. Laura, Laura Zara yeah she, she's in here too so we can talk about that in a bit um, but actually so much of I would say so much of his ability to thrive in that environment was his sort of psychological standing that Absolutely. he had yeah obviously there was a skill set too but his ability to tackle problems in a very calm manner when a lot of people would be freaking out yeah. is why he thrived, why he was resilient. I, I think that 
what it came down to, and he talks about it in the story, is that a lot of people are just hoping to outlast, mm-hmm. right? That, oh, I can just... In- what did he call it? A starve, uh, yeah. starve fest or something? Yeah, like where people just think, okay, I can suffer longer than the other person. But he went in there with a different mentality of, I'm going to settle in and prepare to be here for a very long time and, and thrive, not just survive, but to thrive. And he did that and uh, better than anyone. And there's a pretty brutal encounter he had with um, a badger who kept trying to steal. It was a wolverine. A wolverine. A wolverine kept stealing some of his moose meat. and he rigged, <laughs> which, which he had worked so hard to get. And he, and he rigged all these traps and alarm systems and eventually ended up shooting the badger, I'm sorry, the wolverine with a, a bow he, sh- yeah. he pinned it to the ground with an arrow and then clubbed it with the back of a hatchet, which I don't know if you've ever encountered a wolverine. I, I know. I've, I know what they look like. I think they're one of the most amazing animals on the planet. <laughs> they are scary as hell. <laughs> they're scary as hell. And so anyways, and he looks like such a just gentle person. Yeah. And to just hear about yeah. him surviving and being uh, just badass pretty much yeah. yeah so it's definitely it's an it's a great story and and the photos that elias shot uh are are equally as is uh beautiful so uh we skip on a little bit more um i was looking for a page number so i could direct people it must be uh, so like a hundred 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 and one mm-hmm. the forgotten cowboys yep how um how did that come about and what was the sort of impetus of sure. shooting that story? Sure. So um I forget how it came about, but we were just uh Epic Provisions sponsored this story and it's basically it's about um so the main character of the story is Larry Callies and he is the owner and I believe founder of the Black Cowboy Museum in Texas. And so this is kind of about him. And the lengths he's gone to to sort of highlight these amazing characters that are oftentimes overlooked or not appropriately highlighted in the history of the American West. And he just kind of has created this museum surrounding some of these just tough as hell black cowboys from back in the day. And we just... We felt like it was appropriate timing. Um, it just, again, an organic, serendipitous, the story just kind of showing up at the right time. And um, it was written by Emily Zinobia and uh, Tito, our creative director, his friend Idris Solomon was a, a photographer he met at the Eddie Adams workshop. So um, it was definitely one of those things where, you know, we, we wanted to make sure that we had, you know, the right voices telling the story and it's super fascinating. And we, I think we all learned a lot from this. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think that you've probably, if you're into Western history, you've probably heard some of these names from these cowboys. Um, but it's, it's a really interesting story and it obviously departs from some of the hunting that we normally talk about. And it goes more into, you know, social equity and, um, and history and revisionist history, whatever you want to call it. But, um, it's, it's fascinating. And, and these characters and especially Larry deserve to be, um, upheld and kind of given the mic. And so it was really cool to get to participate in that and, uh, and just kind of show a different side of some of the stories we may have heard. So, yeah, Yeah, I think I did first edit on this Mm -hmm. and it was, yeah, it was 
amazing amazing yeah. to go through this and have this sort of back and forward interaction and, and learn more and have some elements expanded on because i just wanted a deeper understanding of what sure. was going on and what the history was so yeah for me it was it was amazing to read this for the first time and it's an incredibly important piece of history as you said that yeah maybe a lot of people don't know about sure i mean this is you know part of how how the west was forged yeah <laughs> Yeah, you know, very much so. It's like the foundations of it, and it's uh, not necessarily been talked about, but that's the point behind so many of the stories that we do in here is to yeah try and highlight those. And I'm gonna I'm gonna jump backwards in page oh, count okay. to it's page 78, but it, it was my main contribution to this issue, mm. and it's a new series we we started called Huntsman at Large, where it basically we're gonna be highlighting doing an interview series with with individuals who maybe aren't the typical hunter, somebody that is a public figure or an athlete or a chef that if you looked or met them, looked at them or met them, you wouldn't necessarily guess that they were into it. And our first interview was with Jay Cutler, who was the former quarterback of the Chicago Bears. And I know for a lot of you UK listeners, <laughs> you probably wouldn't know who he You're is. Like, but... Is that ball round? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, obviously professional American football and the national the NFL um, and the Chicago Bears is a very storied institution. My father's from Chicago. He was a huge Bears fan. And so, it, again, it was very serendipitous. Uh, for, for how I met Jay, he was a subscriber to the publication and he had been, he posted, posted some stuff on his Instagram about us. And I reached out to him and just said, Hey, uh, you know, appreciate the, you know, the share and, and, you know, we're a small company and it, it was just appreciate the support kind of thing. And as like, if you ever in Montana, uh, let me know, I'd love to buy you a beer, or just, you know, trade stories or whatever. And he's like, actually, I'm going to be out there in a few weeks hunting elk. And he's like, we should meet up. So we ended up uh, getting together and hunting elk together for a couple of days. And I, I got to do an interview with them and, um, and it was dumping snow and it was the last few days of elk season, archery elk season here in Montana. So didn't have much luck because the elk had kind of gone to shelter, but, um, it was really fascinating to get to just hear a little bit more about somebody who has lived a life in such scrutiny and public just observation. Um, and, and sort of in this new chapter of, of him being retired and, and kind of in a, in a new direction of his life, what he wants to do and what's important to him uh, and just how deep his ties and connection to hunting go um, and, and kind of where he sees himself in the future of, you know, these issues that we're talking about, the future of hunting and conservation. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was a really cool experience and, and Jay's a nice guy. And um, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, people will probably be seeing more of him in, in uh, the hunting space in, in years to come. But uh, And this will, this will certainly be uh, questions and answers, which is how, mm -hmm. how the format of this uh, piece is, that people won't have heard before, I think. Yeah, there's actually a lot of things he's never addressed publicly. I don't know about a lot of things, but there's a couple of things that we specifically talked about that he wanted to kind of address and... Um, yeah, it, it was it was an honor, and um, you know I, I was really happy with the way the photos came yeah, out. They, and, uh, I have to ask this big spread here. I'm just as Jay's kind of looking down, obviously. Yeah, as we as we all do, kind of by the fire, looking in and losing yourself. 
Is that a leftover ribs from processing so, some meat? So we <laughs> were, fire? yeah, our friend Margie Nelson, her Instagram's wild gourmet. She's a chef here in, in, in Livingston, Montana. She came over that night and we were doing some butchering and, and um, breaking down and, uh, Katie Marchetti's antelope, which one of those photos oh, yeah. of Jay. And she cooked uh, bone in, uh, I forget what she called it. Uh, um, but yes, those are ribs that she was cooking in the coals on the open fire, uh, which was pretty cool. So yeah, good, eye. good. I, yeah, it's I just, that's what I never, in the whole process of going through this to get it ready to go to print, I never noticed that before, but I've noticed yeah, it now while I'm yeah. talking to you. Um, so to, let's keep going through here. Uh, Frederic Lagrange. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I almost want to just say his name and say, go by the book because the story but the image the story told through the images more than anything else there's yeah. not, not a huge amount of words no. uh, connected to this and there doesn't need to be is just I mean what a talent that man is yeah yeah this is one of those things where I mean these images look like I don't even know how to describe them it's very very high level photography yeah and this was the um and it transcends time. It, it does. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it feels like something, uh, it's very anthropological. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, the, the, the photos themselves tell the story, but it's a uh, Kombai hunters in, in the archipelago of Indonesia. And, uh, he spent some time there, uh, and just got some in, incredibly powerful imagery. Um, and then he has a little excerpt at the at the end, kind of summarizing his experience. But um, the monograph of photos that, that him and Tito collaborated on are um, stunning. And I really like that. I, I think sometimes sometimes that's the best way to consume a story. You know, we've talked about more introducing more photo essay, photo essay based stories because it's very difficult to put into words the some of the the cultural significance of what you're seeing with your eyes yeah. and i think this story speaks to that absolutely yeah uh I, th- I suppose we should probably go over maybe another two i mean you mentioned nick coleman's already yeah. so that's uh towards the end of the book is there another two that you, well hang on i'll tell you what that's we're going to end on field outrider yeah. is there another one or two that you want to chat about briefly i mean i feel like i've got to mention tito's it's it's i think it comes straight after frederick's yeah and that, um this is kind of in a similar vein is that there's not a lot said in this it, most of it's carried with with the images and i think that elias and tito did the most incredible job of this layout yeah and how it feels to me and i i said this to them and i think i've said it to you if i ever write a book one day about something like that's what I want it to look like. When you write a book, <laughs> you will write a book with this these typewriter, uh, which which was genuinely typed. Yeah, they. So it's a it's kind of a multimedia story. But these are all Tito went to Cameroon, Cameroon years ago, and most of the film he shot got water damage. And from the however many ten to twelve rolls he shot, there was only. I don't know, less less than 20 frames or something like that that weren't damaged. And those frames that are left are this haunting representation of that trip. And so this story is more of, it's more like a reverie. It's more of a collection of images and and memories and words kind of designed together with uh, his 
print stamp. So when he does photo prints in the dark room, he uses a stamp on the back of it. Then he writes his name and the date and the edition. And then some of it, they, Elias's wife used their typewriter and actually typed these things up and embedded it into the layout. And so it's just a really beautiful multimedia uh, composition of, of images and words and, um, and ink and pencil. Yeah, so, funny. and they had this. So there is um, like three paragraphs that kind of explain some of the background uh, behind the story. But a lot of it is these kind of mind dump memories, uh, which are just either a couple of words or a couple of phrases, yeah. which encapsulate what that journey meant to him. Sure. And I. When he came, because I know from spending time with Tito more recently and also in the process of putting this story together, uh, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying that he, he was really struggling to work out how to articulate the story mm -hmm. and accompany these photographs with yeah. anything. And when he came up with this idea of just encapsulating phrases and words, that is what sprung to mind as he's recounting this mm -hmm. in his memory – and just present that to people to absorb. I love the idea. Yeah. And it, it couldn't have come out better. Yeah, I agree. Field Outrider? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. So, so we any... talked about this. Just for people on the podcast, we mentioned uh, in the process of these submissions. Right. Uh, in the couple of weeks before for this big call for people to enter this very unique competition that hadn't really been done before. And the a lot of the the... the the shortlisted entries and the winners are now in this volume. Yeah. But just remind people, Tyler, about Field Outrider, why why you and the team at Modern Huntsman wanted to do it and what the purpose of it was. Sure. So kind of in response to a lot of the conversations around the lack of diversity in the hunting and outdoor industries, we just wanted to address that in our own way by kind of opening up the door and, uh, and kind of extending an open invitation and say, we want to see more work from more voices. And so we launched this competition. We assembled a, an incredibly star studded panel of judges. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, uh, Heidi Volpe, who's the director of photography for Patagonia, uh, was one of our main judges. Um, Chris Burkhard, we had, um, Everard Williams, who's the faculty director of Art Center in Pasadena. I really want to go meet him. I know. And in fact, he actually told us, not only is he a subscriber, we had never met, but he actually shows his students our books as a an example of the high watermark for uh, publishing in the outdoor space. Which is an incredible test. Which is a really, really honoring. It's a great honor. And with the editorial director of Nike, editorial director of Red Bull, former um, creative director of National Geographic, really amazing group of people who weighed in on this. And then we had a couple of, we had Ryan Holm from Mystery Ranch and Bridget Noonan from First Light. And basically we had uh, six categories, I think. And anyways, we just opened it up for submissions and the winners are going to, we're going to be working with them on a commission. Um, we're going to be highlighting their work through our website and through an interview series uh, runners up, same thing. We're going to be doing some portfolio reviews and things like that. So basically the top three in each category are featured in this book. Um, we had five finalists that we recognized online, but it's only the top three that sort of have a take, a take home prize in a, in a sense. Um, and so I'll just go through these real quick, but the winner of the, the pursuit category is Mike Borchard. It's this really stunning, 
spearfishing image. Um, the winner of the harvest category was Jay Kolsch. And it's this, I love this insane image of, I couldn't really tell what it was at first, but it's, he was documenting a um, sled dog team and they freeze these salmon and then they use a bandsaw to cut the salmon into salmon pucks, like little mm-hmm. hockey pucks. And that's what they feed the dogs with. And it's this crazy image with pink dust flying everywhere of a frozen salmon. Um, really powerful. And so we're, we're looking forward to working with Jay on some stuff. Uh, the winner of the Wild Places This category. is a mesmerizing image. It, it is. I, you know, when I first saw this, I actually didn't know what it was. Me neither. I thought it was a kind of a composite. I actually thought it was fab- something someone had drawn. Yeah, I thought it yeah. was like a, a comp or something, like a you know an illustration. Christopher Dowell, um, it's a, it must have been a drone shot over a grove of trees, I believe in the Midwest, and you can see all the tracks in the snow from all the game kind of coming and going from this little grove of trees. Yeah, and it's Wisconsin. Black and white. It's beautiful. Um, the winner of the portraiture category was Sofia Jeremilio and her portrait is actually of Emily Zinobia who wrote the Black Cowboy story which was kind of cool and um, and we actually had people weigh in on these we had open voting um, so that we kind of started to earmark some of the more popular ones and then we had the judges kind of make final decisions um, the winner of the wildlife category was Eric Fisher uh, and it's a really cool image of a grizzly bear with a, I believe that's a salmon yeah. in its mouth. Tremendous. And you can see the row. You can see the fish eggs dropping out towards the bottom. Look towards the, le- the bear's left paw. Sorry. You see that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, re- really I cool. actually didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then all, all of these in Volume 6, all of the photos have little captions yeah, so you from can read a bit more the photographer about, about yeah. what each one was doing. Uh, the winner of the Western category was Avery Sass and really, really cool image of a rodeo and all the Cowboys have their hats off and held over their hearts, most likely as the national anthem is playing. Um, really, really cool image. And we, we had a hard time picking the images on that. Um, and then we had an art and illustration category. And the winner was our friend here in Bozeman, Morgan Irons, who's just an insane talent. Her work is so powerful. This um, looks biblical to it, me. It does. Yeah, and her work, really that's a does. good, There's no other word, a good for it. word to describe her work. It's very um, moody and um, and just impactful. It's, um, I don't know, but it's, it's a beautiful painting. And, uh, you know, she's a, an artist fast on the rise here and, and has a lot of, uh, ga- well, less gallery shows now than normal, given the, the times. But, uh, yeah, we're really, really looking forward to working with her on a, on a commission. Um, and then the last category was an emerging category. So it was kind of basically people who, and I don't remember if we put a hard stop on the number of years of experience, but I think it was less than five or something like that. And um, David... And apologize, David. I don't know if you say your name Faison or Fason, but F A S O N, David Faison, um, of this portrait of a young boy in Belize, uh, whose name was Radon, and he's um, this guy. So, what a fly fishing! Yeah, I guess this boy just loves fly fishing. <laughs> and uh, oh, I'm sorry, his name's Hopkins. Is a little boy. Um, so, anyways, uh, really, really cool f- portrait of this of this little kid. Uh, you know, out 
on the salt flats fishing. And, um, with this giant saltwater reel. Oh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> but it was just, you know, overall, apart, you know, obviously I didn't mention the, the runners up in third place, but, but please check them out in the book. Um, we're going to be doing interviews and features with them on our website as well, too. But it was just, we were paid a huge compliment by Heidi because she said, you know, she's participated in hundreds of creative competitions over the years. And we did something that no one has ever done, which is that we were offering paid work rather than just accolades or free stuff or whatever it is. So the experience of getting to see all of this work come in from a lot of different backgrounds. And we, we honestly didn't get a ton of hunting imagery. Which was amazing. Yeah. And awesome. Yeah. And I, I think and the that, level was so high. Yeah, it really was. And, you know, it was a range. Um, you know, there was, there was definitely, uh, you know, some work that, you know, I think somebody's mom sent in from their cell phone, <laughs> stuff like that. There's was, always going to be that. Right. Right. Um, but still, you know what, we appreciate everybody's participation and, um, you know, we actually charged an entry fee for the very reason that we wanted to make sure that the work submitted was, um, at least taken seriously. But then at the same time, that money helped us, um, kind of create a pool of, of, uh, that we will, the money we raised through the application fees is the money we are going to use towards commissioning the winners. So, um, you know, we obviously, we still have to continue to, to fund that in an ongoing way, which goes back to our earlier conversation about, you know, you guys, listeners being able to support us and, and what we do and the work we publish ultimately helps us continue to be able to support these artists. And, and I just think that's something that's really important to do. And um, there really aren't that many people or really anybody doing it in the hunting space that I'm aware of. There, you know, people do that in other industries and things like that, but um, we're also trying to cross those industries over. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Tyler, it's great to speak to you. It's great to spend some time with you in person yeah. again, because it's been too long because it's been so difficult to move around it the has. world. Uh, I, when we finished this volume, volume six, I felt so good about it. I felt so good about the team synergy, about the amazing writers that had, we'd pulled in to tell these stories. And when the finished file went to the printers, I, I really felt like I could sit back and be proud that it was the best volume yet. And that's not to diminish any previous volumes, But I just see that as as anything that I try and do, uh, as as well as anything that the Modern Huntsman team are doing, is trying to make it a little bit better than the last time we did it. And uh, yeah, I think it's it's this definitely. I feel comfortable saying that this is a, a testament to the work that was put in because I think it yeah. reflects it. Yeah, and jokingly, we always say, "Oh, yeah, this is the best one we've ever done." I don't know how we're going to outdo this. Well, somehow we continue to outdo it. But but this one in particular is I'm, I'm incredibly proud of one because of the level of, and I say this, I hope it comes off humbly, but the level of excellence that we achieved in this one is, is beyond what we've done before. And that's not a a testament to anything other than everybody bringing the very best of what they had to offer. We had a lot more, you know, streamlined collaboration. We improved our process. You know, I feel like the level of contributors that we had were um, just on a different level. And, um, 
Yeah, and it was also kind of miraculous how quickly we were able to produce this given the obstacles and, and delays yeah. and shoots and shipping and printing and all kinds of stuff. And um, it was a Herculean effort to get this one done on time and at the level that we did. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of it. And like I said before, I need a little bit of time after each book to not, Process. <laughs> not think about it yeah. and uh, to sleep a little. But now that we've done that and that it's starting to get out in the world and we see people's reactions and, and their kind words and things like that, uh, it's it's very rewarding. But um, yeah, we've still got a lot more to come. And, and especially with this artist edition we're releasing, and we're going to be releasing more of the stories online for subscribers. And so um, again, I would just encourage everybody to, you know, ideally get a copy yourself because it's it's a different experience to hold the book in your it's hand. Um, but if not, you know, we're going to be offering digital subscriptions and things like that. And, um, anyways, it's, it's just, it just helps us. Anything you guys can do helps us continue to commission these incredibly talented people and, and dive into conversations and stories that we feel are important to uncover that we feel like aren't really getting the enough attention and spotlight. Tyler, thank you for hosting me once again in Montana. Absolutely. Uh, I know it won't be too long before we, we podcast again, probably. Maybe after volume seven. Yeah, let's do it.